Bible with you today. We have some that we'd be happy to loan you during the message here today. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand real high. Our ushers will be glad to get you one. We just ask that you leave them on your seat when you leave today so we can use them again next week. And the... Uh, of course, the scriptures are up on the screen as well, but it's always good. There's just something good about turning in your Bible. Of course, uh, today we're talking about uh, grief recovery. And uh, we had, the last session we had uh, spent about uh, 45, 50 minutes talking about this. So this is part two. And uh, there's just two parts to this series. And so we'll finish it up today. Uh, now, to really get the fullness of what I'm going to share today, it would have been good for you to been, to been in on the first session, and uh, because I just don't have the time to, uh, to review all, all of that. But uh, we've titled this, uh, you know, li- uh, Life After Loss, you know. And, and, you know, when you lose a loved one, it's a very, very devastating and difficult time. And uh, the intention of this series that we're doing is to try to uh, bring encouragement to everyone who who has lost a loved one in the past or who will lose one in the future. And so this is a message that all of us need to hear and uh, and be aware of. And so remember last time, the grieving process, and, and they'll have it on the screen there, hopefully, uh, as people have studied about uh, the grieving process and and, uh, uh, you know, what people go through when they've, when they've lost a loved one. And hopefully you can read that. But there's ten different things that, that uh, people who have studied this topic have pretty much agreed on. Is that the first thing, when the news comes that you've lost a loved one, uh, there's shock, disbelief, and denial. And, you know, as we said last time, you know, if you have a, an aging loved one who is, you know, up in their mid-80s or into their 90s and, you know, and, and, and they pass away, you know, they've pretty well lived out their life. And, uh, but even when news of the, that they have passed away, there's something that happens with a, a shock and uh, many times even in that case, a disbelief and a denial. And it's even, it's even more, uh, uh, more so when, you know, news comes that you've lost someone in midlife or, you know, someone was hit by a drunk driver and they're killed or, or like this storm in, in Joplin, this tornado, you know, things like that can really shock your system and there can be a time of disbelief and denial. And then after that, there's an expression of emotions and then, you know, depression, loneliness, distress, panic, a time of guilt, anger, and then eventually in the process of time, notice I said it's a process, returning to everyday activities, a hope, and then a new normal. Whenever you lose a loved one, I, I don't think you ever totally, totally get over it. I, I don't know how you could. But, but you can recover and get back to where you can return to your everyday activities. And hope can be re- renewed. And you can continue with your life. And it, it'll you know, be what, what these scholars that have studied this subject, they call it the new normal. A new normal, you know. So let's kind of briefly go through each of these stages. Uh, first of all, the shock, disbelief, and denial. Um, what you need to realize is that, and, and I've watched this too, is when someone has lost a loved one, and and you think that they're going to be up there, you know, if they if they get up at the funeral to say so, something, you know, about the one who has passed on. 
uh, you know, you, you wonder sometimes, I know I have, how they ha- can be so strong, you know, and be able to stand up there and, and talk about their loved one who has, who has passed. And some people say that, that, that shock, shock has a numbing effect or uh, anesthetizing effect, and, and it may well have. And just because of the shock of the situation that the, that the people are in, it, it, it kind of numbs them and they're able to get through that difficult time. Also, and, and I tend to, to believe this, that the shock could have an anesthetizing effect, but I think that the grace of God also kicks in and is extra strong. At, at that time when a loved one is lost and, and you watch people who have just lost that loved one and they seem, they seem like, you know, you, you wonder, I know I have, how are they getting through that? How are they, how are they seem to be so strong? And I think we need to realize that it's the grace of God that, that I think can increase on somebody. How many is glad for His grace? I know I sure am. Um, and, but here's something else you need to realize that we must be sensitive that just because we see someone handling the loss of their loved one real well in the short term does not mean that they will be doing that well in the long term. And we need to remember that. Uh, Because you have to realize that once the, you know, afterwards, you know, after a funeral, usually there's food over at someone's house or somewhere, you know, and but you need to realize that after everybody's gone home and after the family members who may have flown in for the funeral after they've left, that person who's lost their wife or their husband or whoever it may be, now all of a sudden they're all alone. And so we, we have to remember that just because we see somebody is, is, seems to be real strong when they're at the funeral doesn't mean that they're going to be doing that well, you know, a month or two months or six months on down the road. So we need to remember that. And, you know, uh, something my wife, it's, I've really admired it. I've watched it over all these years. But when someone loses a loved one, uh, she, she marks it down on the calendar. And, and, and like on the year anniversary of that, she'll send them a card, you know. And that really ministers to people and helps them when they know that some... One hasn't forgotten, you know, what they're going through. And as I've studied this, it seems like between six months and a year after you've lost a loved one can be the most difficult time. So we need to, to realize that. And we need to be sensitive uh, to people's losses and uh, remember them and make notes on our calendars and, you know, be there for them and, and love them beyond just the time when they're in that, that time of shock and disbelief and denial. We need to be with, with them then, but we also need to remember that their grief process continues and we always need to stand by them. And then the next thing is the expression of emotions. The expression of emotions. And I said some things about this in the last session, but I just want to say this. When you've lost a loved one, it's okay to cry. And it's okay not to cry. Everybody expresses their emotions differently. And, and just because someone's crying does not mean they're weak. Very oftentimes, crying is a sign of strength. And then having said that, you need to remember th- this. Just because someone doesn't cry doesn't mean that they don't care. Sometimes people just, they, they, they're not given to crying. And so, so whether you cry or whether you don't, it doesn't, doesn't uh, indicate anything really one way or the other, but it's okay to cry. Remember, Jesus wept, didn't he weep? How many remembers he wept at the tomb of Lazarus when he had lost his friend? Um, And then there's a time of depression. Uh, 
our loneliness. And again, I want to say this, we must be sensitive to try to include those who have lost loved ones in our plans to help them with depression and loneliness. So when someone has lost a loved one, like I said, it's one thing to be there with them at the funeral, and, and but, but we need to remember that 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 recovering from a loss is a process. And so we need to be there for people, not just at the funeral, but we need to be there for people as time goes on because folks can really, they can fall into depression and and loneliness. And so it would be good to include folks that have lost a loved one in our plans and things like that. And uh, And then also, you know, sometimes people go through distress and panic. And uh, when you see people who have suffered major loss. It's kind of like these folks in, in Joplin that have just been devastated. Uh, you know, we ask ourselves, you know, what should we do to comfort those who have, who have lost a loved one, who, who are going through times of, of great grief? Uh, now, Tony Cook, uh, he, he wrote a book called uh, Life After Death, and it's, it's available to anybody who wants it. He covers... Some, some things in that book that I just don't have the time to, to get into here today. It would take too long. But, but just some things. Notice Job, the second chapter. Go, go to the book of Job, if you would. The second chapter and, and verse 11. Job, the second chapter and verse 11. You know, of all of the people in the Bible, Job very possibly could have uh, gone through maybe the worst things that you could could go through. I mean, think about that. He lost everything that he had. More importantly, he lost all of his children. Think how devastating it would be to lose one child, but he lost all of them at the same time. Remember that? And uh, then his health. He lost his health. And he was really in a bad way and he had three friends and we always think of Job's three friends uh, in a a negative light but you need to realize that really they were his friends and what doesn't get talked about a lot is the fact that when Job suffered all of the loss that he suffered these three men came to comfort him and they did comfort him for about seven days, they were, they were just wonderful. It wasn't until after that, that that things went haywire. But notice here in Job, the second chapter in verse 11, notice this, and we can learn some things about this. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. And then the three names of the fellows are mentioned. And then as the verse goes on, for they had... Uh, Now watch this. They had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. That's a good thing. And when they raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize him. Think about that. Job was in, he had lost, remember he lost everything that he had. He lost all of his children at the same time. His health, he was, he was, he had lost his health. And these three friends come to comfort him and they raise their eyes from afar and did not recognize him. That is how bad Job was grieving and suffering. 
so bad that his friends didn't recognize him. They lifted their voices and wept. They cried. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him. They sat down with Job on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his grief was very great. Now the lesson I learned from this right here is that when people are suffering like Job was suffering... His friends came and noticed they didn't say anything. They were just there. And when people lose a loved one and they're going through great turmoil, you know, sometimes, very often, when you get there, you don't even really need to say anything. You just need to be there for them. I said, you just need to be there for them. I said, you just need to be there for them. You hear me? Uh... I know that I've been around folks over the years and and uh, get around them and and uh, when they've lost a loved one and uh, very oftentimes I'd want to just go hide in a corner because what am I going to say to them? And I found that words that I come up with are just not adequate even being a minister. And it, it, it can be very uncomfortable because, you know, when someone has lost a, a, a loved one, what, you know, but you know what, what I've learned is, and I've learned this from, from this here, is that people don't really need you so much to say anything. They just need you to be there for them. They just need you to be there for them. Now, if you want to say something, that's fine. But you just need to be there for them. And that's what Job's friends did. They were just there for him and were with him. They didn't say anything for seven days. Now, as you study the story, it wasn't until they tried to figure everything out that things got miserable. And it's interesting that If you look at Job 16, verse 2, Job 16, verse 2, see these comforters, they came and they they started off real good, but when they started trying to figure everything out, things got real miserable. And notice in Job 16, 2, in that verse, now this is much later on now, much later on. See, in in chapter 2, they were good friends, but in Job 16, Verse 2, he says, miserable comforters are you all. And if you study it all out, you'll see the reason he says that is because they're trying to figure out why all this adversity came upon Job. And the worst thing you can do when you show up to try to comfort somebody is to try to figure out why that adversity came upon them. And try to give them all kinds of reasons why. Did you hear me? You understand? Well, why did that tornado hit Joplin? Was it God's judgment? No, God didn't have a thing in the world to do with that tornado. Somebody say amen. Amen. God's not a killer. Did you know that? And that wasn't the judgment of God. The devil, the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Did you hear me? You understand that? But, but you know, at a time like this, it's not the time to try to figure, you know, to figure things out. But why did this happen? Why did that happen? Look, it happened. Now we need to be there to help, you see. 
and to comfort. Y'all okay? And so we need to rejoice in Romans 12, 15. This would do you good to mark this one down. Romans 12, 15 says we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. See, the folks in Joplin, they're in a time of grief and mourning. And now, you see, we weep with those who weep, you see. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible commissions us to be good comforters. Now, no one can comfort like the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to that? Can you, can you talk? Can you say amen? Yeah. But the Holy Spirit can at times use us to bring comfort to people. Notice 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. Does God want to use us to comfort people? Yes. Does God want to use us to help people? Yes. So he says that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So we need to be comforters. We need to learn how to comfort people that are going through loss. Now somebody has asked me the question. They say, well, when I go to the you know, funeral home or whatever, or when I go over to so-and-so's house who's lost a loved one, what if there's doubt about whether or not their loved one was saved. You know, we said to you last session that when someone has lost a loved one and you go in there and you say, well, look on the bright side, at least they were saved. Well, you know that, thank God they were saved. Thank God they missed hell and made heaven. Thank God for that. But, but when a person is grieving and you go in there and you say, well, you know, I know you've lost a, a, a loved one. I know, I know. But, you know, look on the bright side. They were saved. Well, I mean, thank God they were saved. But do you see how that's kind of flippant? Do you see that? How many sees that besides me? But thank God they were saved. I mean, that, that, that's good. See, sometimes we just need to be quiet and just be there for them. Amen? Now, if they bring it up and say, well, you know... I'm glad they knew Jesus. Well, then you can say something, you know. On the other hand, what if, what if there's great question as to whether or not the person who has died has received Jesus? What do you do? You go in there and say, well, you know, your loved one went to hell. I don't think that's very comforting. Is it? Well, what do you do? I just don't say anything. Because you know what? The person is already gone, aren't they? So no matter what you say, it can't change the destiny of the person that's already gone. But you know what I tell people, and it's, this is not a false hope, but this is what I tell people, is that, and I believe the only way to get to heaven is to receive Jesus. Repent of your sins and receive Jesus. I don't believe there's any other way to do it. Can you say Amen. But having said that, what I tell folks that are grieving and, you know, they're concerned about where their loved one went, whether to heaven or hell, I tell people this. I say, you know what? We don't know what that person might have done in those last hours or last minutes. How many of you remember the thief on the cross? 
he cried out at what we would call the midnight hour, didn't he? And God's merciful. And so that's, that's how I handle that difficult situation. Now, here's something else. Number six on this list of grief recovery. And this is a major thing we need to talk about here. What's number six on that, on that list? It's guilt, regret, and forgiveness. Guilt. Let's talk about guilt. How many has ever felt guilty about something besides me? Guilt. Guilt is something, now listen to me, because I'm telling you what, guilt, did you know that there's the subject of guilt can run your life? Did you know that? Guilt is something that can be prevented, though, if we'll prepare now. Some people, now you got to realize this, some people are going to feel guilty no matter what, but, but, but guilt can be prevented if you'll prepare now. Real loud, say prepare now. Prepare, let's try it again. Say prepare now. Prepare when? Now. What do I mean by prepare now? Here's what you do with your loved ones. You share Jesus with them now. You pray with them if they'll let you to receive Jesus now. I tell you what, you don't want to have word come in that a loved one has passed away and you never took the time to share Jesus with them. That's a horrible guilt to have to live with the rest of your life. And, and, and you don't want to have to live with guilt that, you know, I never prayed with them. I tell you what, go to your loved ones, lovingly share Jesus with them and, and, and do your best to pray with them to get them to receive the Lord Jesus. Do what you can. And then here's something else. Tell your loved one how much you love them and how much they mean to you and how much you appreciate them. Tell them that now. Did you hear me? Show your loved one how much you love them. Call them regularly. Visit them regularly. And spend quality time with them regularly now while you have time. A very wise person told me years ago, they said, send your flowers while the person's living, not after they're dead. Did you hear me? Now, if you want to send flowers to a, nurse, to a funeral home, that's fine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But what I'm saying, prepare now. Love them now. Show them how much you love them now. Leave nothing unspoken. Leave nothing undone. If there is some offense, fix it. Do everything you can to fix it. You might say, well, pastor, I've done everything I know to fix it. uh, And they just won't reconcile. Well, then that is their problem. But if word comes that they've been taken out, they've died, whatever. You know what? Then you can say, I've done everything in my my power to to reach out and fix that problem. You you need to do that. And then here's something else. Guilt can come by thinking about something you did to hurt your loved one that died. I remember, I'll tell you a story about myself. My mom and I, this is back when I was five, six years old. My mom and I, every morning when my dad would leave, she would hold me and she'd kiss his one cheek and I'd kiss his other. And then he'd go to work. Every night, 
at, at when I got home from school at 3.30, he came home at 5.30, I would wait at the window and I'd look out the window for him to come around the corner and I would, and it got to the point where I wouldn't even take my coat off after I got home from school. I'd leave my coat home. Sometimes I'd be sweating, like a, just sweating in, because in, you know, with the heater going or whatever. I, I, in the wintertime, I'd have my coat on because I'd have to run out in the cold, but there was about maybe a hundred yard run that I could run out and meet my dad. And so I did that every night for a couple of years, five, six, seven years old. And every morning, he, we, I'd kiss him on one cheek, she'd kiss him on the other. And then I'd run out every night to meet him when he came in. And I'd get in his truck and he'd drive in and we'd get out of the truck and walk in the house together. Well, one, one morning, him and me, him and me, I'm a math teacher, not an English major. He and I had an argument. Have you ever had an argument with somebody? Nobody's ever had an argument with anybody. Can you raise... Are you all out there today? He and I had an argument. And so that morning, instead of... I got angry and my mom was holding me. You know, I'm seven years... I guess I was about six at the time. And I said to him, I said, I wish you'd go to work and never come back. Year later... Guy comes in from his work, said, your dad's had a heart attack. Pennsylvania, he's dead. Now, let me tell you what, as a seven-year-old boy, that affected me. Those, la- and those weren't the last words I said to him. This was about a year before he died. But, but how many of you know that'll get to you? Because it happened just like I, I, I said. But you know, that bothered me for years. But the Lord finally got something across to me. How did I treat my dad as a whole? Do you think I treated him very well? Did I kiss him every morning? Did I run meet him every night? Yeah. Did we just have an argument? Yeah. Did we just, yeah, we just had an argument. Did I say something I shouldn't have said? Yeah. Was I, and I was only seven or six years old at the time. And after I said that, I had a whole nother year to kiss him every morning and meet him coming in. The point I'm trying to make is, is that when, when you lose a loved one, you'll tend to think about, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have said that to him. I shouldn't have done that to him. Oh my gosh. And that guilt can, 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 can shut you down from enjoying life for the rest of your life. But the Holy Spirit got across to me is, I was just six years old, and it was only one time, and it was an argument, and, and you have to look at the big picture at how I treated him generally. Can you say amen to that? So if you're here today and you're, you're ridden with guilt as you had an argument with somebody and you said something you shouldn't have said, well, look, look at the big picture. And maybe that'll help you. I don't know, it helped me. You might be here today and you might say, well, I did not do all the things that I should have done to prevent guilt. And now that loved one is gone. And now I'm ridden by guilt. Well, let me say this to you. You have to get to a point where you forgive yourself. And you know what you might do as a memorial to the one that you lost? As a memorial to the one that you lost, what you might do is this. Improve in the way you treat other people as a memorial to that one that you lost. Did you get what I just said? 
So that one that's gone now, you might have treated them horrible. You might have not called them. You might not have been good to them. You lost them. Now you feel guilty. There's nothing you can do about the one you lost. But in honor and memory of them, you can start treating other people good. And every time you're good to somebody else and nice to somebody else, you can say, I'm doing that in memory of the one that I lost. That would be a way to help you with your guilt. And we could go on and on. Sometimes a a person will lose a spouse and they'll say, well, you know, I'm grieving over the loss of my spouse, but can I ever get married again? And I'm talking about guilt. Sometimes people won't ever get married again because they feel if they do, they feel guilty because they're being dishonorable to the spouse that died. Did you know the Bible said it is okay to get married again? I personally believe that there should be a time that you uh, 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 don't, you know, a time that you don't get. It always bothers me when somebody, when their spouse dies and then they get remarried like right away. I don't know, just to me, it just seems like that's kind of disrespectful to the one that you lost. How many agrees with me on that? I, you know. But I mean, there is a time, I think, what that time is. I can't say that's between you and the Lord. But if you lose your spouse, I think there ought to be some time where you, you hold off and, and, and there's a grieving process. But as time comes and goes, whatever that time is, there's nothing wrong with, with, with remarrying again. And, uh, and so on. You know, Abraham, how many remembers Abraham? Sarah died. He grieved her, her death. And in the process of time, he got married again and, and, and had more children. So, you know, I just wanted to say that because sometimes guilt can keep people from moving on in, in, in their life. A lot of times people will uh, lose someone and they'll never use that room again where that person that died slept. And, you know, I think that, in my personal opinion, I think that that room ought to be held in respect. And I think that, you know, all of that's good. But I think as time goes on, we, we have to move on with life. Can anybody say amen to that? Are you getting anything out of this today? You know, it's kind of a different tone in here today, but it's, it's more of a somber, but it ought to be somber. I mean, there's a lot of people suffering in this world and we need to take this serious, don't we? So this is another thing, you know, uh, uh, sometimes, you know, a, a parent will die and then, you know, like say your, your mother passes away and then a couple of years later, your uh, dad remarries. You know, a lot of times people won't accept that new wife. You see, because I can't see her as my mom because she could never take the place of my mom. And, and you know, we're talking about grieving here. And look, she'll never be able to take the place of your mom. We, we all agree with that. But she can be right there with your mom and you can honor both of them. What's wrong with honoring both your natural mother and your, your, your stepmom? Amen. You can do both. Just because, what I'm trying to say, just because you're honoring your, 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 your stepmom doesn't mean you're dishonoring your real, your, your natural. I shouldn't say real, your natural mother, you see. All right, let's talk about anger here. Uh, just a few more of these and then, then we'll go. But here, anger. Uh, have you ever thought this? I, I used to think this growing up when, when a loved one would die. I would think this. I wish this happy life that I have here on earth with my loved ones could go on forever. Has anybody ever thought that besides me? And I wish there'd be no death and I wish we could live with our loved ones here on the earth forever. You need to realize so did God. That's the way God wanted it to be. His plan was the Garden of Eden. His plan was for us to live on this earth forever with no death. No dying, no sorrow, no sickness, no disease. God is not the author of death. But how many of you know man 
disobeyed God. And sin entered. And when sin entered, the Bible said death entered. So you need to realize that God's perfect will is for us to live with our loved ones here on, here on the earth forever. And you know what? For, for Christians, people who've placed their faith in Jesus, you know what? Eventually, after the resurrection and all of that, we are one day gonna get to live in the new, on this new earth after God renovates it forever and ever according to the Bible, you see. But what, what do we do in the meantime? Well, in the meantime, when we lose folks that we love, we have to learn how to cope with it and move on. Uh, you might say, uh, uh, and think about anger here, if there is an accident and a drunk driver or someone, uh, you know, there's a drunk driver situation and someone that you love has been killed in that accident, the question can come up, you know, why did this happen? Why did, why did this happen? And most of the time, you know, people get angry with God. You know, like the tornado in Joplin. Why did that happen? And people will get angry with the Lord. When someone is killed on the battlefield, a lot of times, you know, in war, a lot of times people will, will get angry with God. I remember I read the story one time of a certain woman who didn't get angry with God so much when her husband died. She got angry with her husband who died because he got to go to heaven and he left her stuck behind with all the bills to pay. So, you know, you ask yourself, why do, do bad things happen? You need to realize, and what did we say a while ago? If you start trying to figure everything out, you can get yourself in a mess. Um, you need to realize something about the storms of life. Jonah, did he disobey God? Yeah, he got in, he, he disobeyed, he got in a storm, didn't he? Did the disciples ever get in a storm? Yeah, when Jesus told them to go to the other side, they were in obedience and they got in a storm. Did you know you can be in obedience and get in a storm? And then sometimes you can suffer loss as a result of someone else's disobedience. Remember Paul, when that shipwreck took place, he suffered loss as a result of other people's disobedience and they shouldn't have been sailing, yet they did. Sometimes people can suffer loss, but there's a drunk driver out there and, and, and the word comes that they've, they've lost a loved one through that or a storm or some, you know, a loss where their, their son or daughter was killed on the battlefield in war. And people ask the question, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Listen, go to Deuteronomy 29, 29. This will help you. This is one you ought to memorize. Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is one you ought to memorize. The secret things belong to who? The Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever. There's some things we're just not going to know. In the New Testament, the Bible says we see now through a glass darkly. Some things we're just not going to know. Now, some things we do know. Does anybody remember Epaphroditus from the New Testament? He was sick and near death because he overworked himself. Sometimes we can know the reason. Sometimes we can know the reason. You know what I'm talking about? But very oft times we don't know the reason. And, and if we know what the reasons are and we're sure what they are, then we need, to, we need to fix them. But a lot of times we don't know the reason that things happen. 
I remember that I was, uh, now what did the Bible say? The secret things belong to the Lord, but, but, but the things that he's revealed to us, we need to walk in those things. I remember I was doing a funeral many years ago for this couple that used to attend here. They were elderly and they moved away. And in the process of time, they, they had to move. They were a wonderful couple. They were elderly when they attended the church. They moved away. And uh, the call came that their, some years later that their granddaughter had, been, had, had died. She was in her teens, early teens, that she had died. And they asked me to do the funeral. And they said that there was going to be another preacher doing it as well. But the grandparents wanted me to come and, 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 and you know, and speak. So I agreed to go. And I remember I traveled the distance and I got there. And I remember I, I, the other minister got up and he said this. He said, well, he said, you know, God just needed this little girl in heaven. And God took her life. And God needed someone to come up there and water the little flowers. And he needed another little angel in heaven. And folks, now we've got, we can go into the word of God and we can see that when we die, we don't become an angel. Amen. And, and he was going on when this minister got done, he had painted God out to be some kind of ogre, you know. And the people were all sitting there crying and going on. I didn't have a problem with that. I had a problem with the guy going off on the Lord. Now, he wasn't, you know, pointing his finger at God, but he was sharing stuff that was painting God not to be the way God really is. How many of you know God's not a killer? And, and I remember then when it was my turn, I got up there and I wasn't ignorant or nothing. I just got up and I began and I, I was, you know, I was soft hearted and all, but I began to share the truths of the word of God. And I went to John 10, 10. The thief comes not before to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have more abundantly. How many remembers that one? And I began to just lovingly share and say some things to, to the congregation. And I mean that place was sardines. They were packed wall to wall. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids from the high school. And when I began to share the truths of the word of God, now listen, this is going to help you. When I began to lovingly share the truths of the word of God, and I said, there's no question that that girl is in heaven, but I, I made this statement. I said, God was not the fault. The devil cut her life short. Now, when I said that, have you ever had a crowd turn on you all at once? I mean, it was like the wind just, uh, like, like the wind just went out of that room. It was like a vacuum. And I had about 300, 400, 500 people in there just kind of snarl at me. I kind of knew what it was like when Jesus had him take him out after he preached his first sermon down to the brow of the hill to throw him off. I thought I was going to get lynched afterwards. I had some people off to my right stand up. I thought they were going to charge me right then. But you know what? We have to tell the truth of the word of God. Amen. And so you see what I learned in that is sometimes people want to not believe the word of God and they want to just wallow around in their pity. Now, look, there's a lot of things we don't understand. The Bible said we don't understand some things, but there is some things we can understand. And the things that the Bible does shed the light on, we need to walk in the light of those things. Can you say amen? Amen. And where the Bible is silent, then we need to be silent. But I want to tell you, since it's so, so, so prevalent right now with what happened in Joplin, I want to say it again. God did not tornado that place. Say amen. You understand the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
Go to Habakkuk 3. I'm almost done. Habakkuk 3. Habakkuk cried out. He was a prophet of the Old Testament. Now, if you're visiting today, I I spend most of the time in the New Testament. But today I have some scriptures from the Old Testament. Along with a few from the New. But Habakkuk cried out. If you studied his story, he cried out and questioned God as to why it seems the wicked go unpunished. Do you ever wonder about like a drunk driver? A lot of times when they hit somebody, the other person is killed and they're not harmed at all. Sometimes the judge even lets them off with a light sentence a lot of times. I've never understood all that. Habakkuk was questioning some of those things. And you know, as you study Habakkuk, God assured Habakkuk that the wicked will not ultimately go unpunished and that God's people will ultimately prosper and we must simply trust God. And actually, if you look at Habakkuk 2.4, you're right there in chapter 3, look at Habakkuk 2.4, the last part of that verse says, the just shall live by faith. Real loud, say the just shall live by faith. One more time, the just shall live by faith. You know what, when you don't understand why something happened and, and, and when it seems to be a secret thing of the Lord, you know what we have to do? It's at that time we just have to trust God and live by faith. And notice Habakkuk was in a time where he was questioning God as to why it seems that the evil was prospering and so on and so forth. But you know what, Habakkuk came to a point where we all come to at some point, I think, something happened. The baby was miscarried. The little child was kidnapped and killed. How many like that Walsh guy? John Walsh, how many likes him? You know who I'm talking about? America's Most Wanted? I mean, he just came to my thinking right now. But you know what? He went through probably the most tragic thing you can go through. His little child was kidnapped and killed. Is that right? And he was devastated, but you know what he decided to do? He decided, I'm not going to let my child's death be in vain. And you know what? He's risen up and he's put so many criminals behind bars. Can anybody say amen to that? And he's done that in honor of his son. And Habakkuk, see, he came to the point, you know, I have to make a choice here. Am I going to question God and be angry at God the rest of, of my life? Or am I going to just say, you know what, there's some things I don't understand and now I need to just move on. Look at what Habakkuk did in Habakkuk 3.17. I want to read this in the New Living Translation. It will be up on the board there. Habakkuk 3.17. Notice this. Even though the... Here's what Habakkuk came to. He said, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crops have failed and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty... Notice what he says here. He says, everything that's gone wrong has gone wrong. He says, yet I will what? I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. And I think that's where we need to get. And it takes faith to do that. It takes faith to say, I don't understand why the bad happened. I don't know why the child miscarried. I don't, I don't know why the drunk driver hit. I don't know why the tornado. I don't know, you know, my, my, my child was killed at, at, at battle. Uh, you know, if your child was killed at battle, let me tell you what, they serve in the United States. They died doing something honorable. Amen. 
But the point is, is that are you going to live the rest of your life torn up by grief? I'm not saying that there's not a grieving process. There is. But at some point, we have to get to the point we say, you know what? I don't understand it all. I don't know why it's all happened. But I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to live by faith and I'm going to rejoice in him. You know, it wasn't until Job got past his anger that his life began to improve. And perhaps that's where you're at today. You need to get past your anger. Perhaps you need to come to a point of forgiveness. Remember, forgiveness is not condoning or approving of the evil that was done. It's not condoning or approving of the evildoer. Forgiveness is not amnesia that you're going to forget what was done. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness is... Not saying that all the unpleasant feelings you have are magically gone. Forgiveness is not that. But here's what forgiveness is. It's simply saying, I choose no longer to hold the wrongdoing against the evildoer. And sometimes you need to get to that point before you're able to move on. And then to conclude, I'll just say this. In the process of time, you'll have to return to everyday activities. Life goes on. The sun keeps coming up. And it keeps setting. It keeps coming up and setting. The grass keeps growing. The seasons keep coming and going. We're going to have to move on with our lives after a loss. And we can regain hope if we'll hold on to the word of God and stay in the house of God and stay close to people that love us. And then it'll come to a time where there'll be a new normal. You know, Job, how many remembers Job? He lost all that he lost. But if you study his story... At the end, he had twice as much as he had before. Here's what you got to remember. He didn't get all those children back again. He didn't get all those goods back again overnight. Realize, say, it takes time. It takes time. And I don't believe he forgot his former children and all that. But, he, but, but God gave him other, and, and he was able to move on. But it took time. And he had a new normal. But the new normal was something that, he, that Job was able to live in blessing. So I just want to leave you with this. I don't know what you've been through. I don't, maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you've lost a, 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 a spouse. Maybe you've lost a, 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 an aunt, an uncle, a, a, a parent, a grandparent. You know, maybe you've, you've suffered a miscarriage. I'll tell you, if you suffered a miscarriage, let me tell you something. Your child is in heaven. And you're going to see him again one day. But I understand there's a grieving process that you go through. I don't know what your situation is, but I know this. If we'll stay in touch with God and stay in his word and walk in his ways, you may hurt, your heart may be broken, but eventually you'll be able to get to that new normal and you'll be able to love people again. You'll be able to walk close to God again and you'll be able to enjoy your life again and you'll be able to sing the praises of God again. Just don't give up. Amen? Let's stand. I hope this helped you somehow or another.